This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Miss the show, no problem. Coming up on point and on the podcast, why is a Scotsman wearing a kilt and walking across this country? Well, he's walking thousands of miles to explore our rugged terrain so he can take that back to Scotland to replenish its lost wilderness. Apple wants to install new technology that they say will let them surveil iPhone content without your knowledge. They argue it's to fight child porn, but privacy advocates are outraged and warn this can be abused and net totally innocent people. And is the fish on your plate the fish that you ordered? A new study says... Probably not. Why is there so much fish fraud in this country and why is nothing more being done to police it? Let's get talking. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Yeah, they want more money, and they want it now. Latest public sector strike proves we were never in this together. Alex Pearson with you on this Friday, August 6th. I don't know about you, it was a very short week, right? I just don't know why it feels like it's lasted an eternity. It has been extremely busy this week, so I'm very glad the weekend is here. Terrific day uh, starting it off because uh, we woke up again to gold. I don't know if you watched the game. I actually did watch the game. It was a bit of a nail-biter. Um, and it was nice to hear the reaction. Here's the father of the woman who scored the winning goal. And it was very sweet, clearly, for him. I feel incredible right now. I'm so proud, Julia. Fantastic. <laughs> what about Higgins to take the, the final kick? Huh? I was a little nerve-wracking, but it went in. Doesn't matter. It went in. Wow! <laughs> yeah! Doesn't matter, just went in. Don't care how pretty it was, just went in. Yeah, that's Carlos. Carlos Grosso, that's Julia's dad, and what a proud dad he is. And, uh, hey, Canada, the soccer team wanted a different color than bronze. Gold looks pretty good on them, and uh, Megan Rapino, you can suck it. Hold on, let me fix my mic here. Hold there we go. Uh, yeah, you can suck it for being such a poor sport. But this weekend... Um, the game's come to an end. Kind of went fast. And we've done great. Really, really great. Especially our women. So far, 22 medals, six of them gold. So we haven't taken home this much hardware since the Barcelona games. We're talking 29 years. So well done to Team Canada. And of course, these athletes will arrive home soon. Hopefully, they don't get held up at the border. Because as you've been hearing about in the news, 9,000 border agency workers started job action. What do we want? What are we going to do? Shut it down. Yeah. And job action, of course, um, I think that really speaks to the fact that, no, we are not in this together. We never were. And while many other issues will be raised, like uh, they're fighting for things like stopping harassment and tough working conditions, 
why a deal really couldn't be reached. I mean, the main issue for border officials and officers is money. It's always about money in the public sector. And in this case, the demand is for a 4.4% raise. They want to be paid the same as law enforcement across this country. And when you look at what they get paid, the base pay of the average border agent is 74 to 86 grand. That does not, of course, include overtime, benefits, a very generous defined pension, sick days, all those great things. I mean, by and large, it's a pretty good gig, right? It's also a gig that paid employees right through this entire pandemic, which saw over a third of the 9,000 employees working from home. And they still work at home because there's no timeline to return to the office. And so unlike millions in the private sector, these 9,000 public sector workers, they didn't suffer any loss of pay or any concern for job security. Yet they think they deserve more. And they don't care if their job actions causing more suffering for, for the mass public or for the economy. Because this job action, you know, assuming it's not wrapped up quickly. I mean, it's not going to just cause massive headaches for anybody who is trying to travel over the border. It's going to, you know, further hurt the tourism sector in border towns, which have been just crushed. It'll cause disruptions to our already delayed supply chain and, and trade with our neighbors. And I don't begrudge anyone making a good living. But most public sector workers these days now make more than those in the private sector. And they haven't lost one cent during this pandemic at any level of government. They also don't shoulder the risks and burdens taken on by entrepreneurs and private business that pay for these jobs. Over 520,000 private workers lost jobs over the last 16 months. We've seen the jobs numbers. And at the same time, the public sector increased hiring by 180,000. So here you've got the private sector suffering unimaginable losses thanks to these lockdowns that were absolutely forced onto them, and the public sector just got more bloated. And so you start to see the divide between the private and public class in this country, and it's never been greater. And it's very clear that no one in charge is going to step in to rein these things in, because that would take leadership. And for all this nonsense, oh, we're all of this together. I mean, at no time during this pandemic did our public class suffer job losses and take or any kind of pay cut. So to see the agents now stomping their feet and demanding more, I think for a lot of people in the private sector shows how tone deaf they are. And they also don't have any idea how good they've had it. But why did the Trudeau government allow the clock to run out? They've had three years to get a deal done. Three years. And we know it's not about concerns for costs because they've proved our money is theirs to throw away. Like I have no doubt in the end that this government union will get what it wants. And that's because Trudeau allowed himself to get backed into a corner. And now the unions hold all the cards, inflicting further damage to our shaky economy so that they can once again further themselves. So no, we were never in this together. So we will talk about that. And of course, uh, they're still at the table. They've been there all day. And I really hope this is a short-lived uh, flexing of the muscle by the unions because you start to hear reports of uh, delays at the borders. You got truck drivers stuck there for three hours trying to cross over and bring goods into this country. That's not acceptable.
But I keep coming. Why did? Why in three years you couldn't get a deal done? They could have gotten a deal done, spared the needless damage to the economy, because they ultimately will end up giving the union whatever it wants. So this show is a very costly show for the taxpayer. There's a voice that keeps on calling me down the road. That's where I'll always be. Every stop I make, I make a new friend. Can't stay for long, just turn around and I'm gone again. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. He will not be settling anytime soon. So if you spot a gingered Scotsman donning a kilt, walking through Canada's toughest terrain, then you are seeing a man on a mission. His name is Michael Yellowese, and his home is in Dunkeld, Burnham, Scotland. But he is, and uh, at one point with his Alaskan husky Luna, um, decided to come to Canada to raise money and awareness for Trees for Life. Now, this is a tree-based charity in Scotland, and so you're saying, well, why is he walking here? Well, he wants to capture Canada's vast wilderness and take that knowledge home to Scotland so that he can help restore the wilderness that's disappeared over the last couple of hundred years. And his goal is to restore the wildlife and nature for natural forests that we, I guess, they enjoy uh, once upon a time in the Scottish Highlands. Michael Yellowese joins us now. It is great to have you here with us. Hello, Alex. How you doing? I am great, thank you. So your journey, I'm like tracking your journey. Your journey started in Tofino, B.C., you're walking to Newfoundland. Right now you're in the Nipigon Thunder Bay area. That is a hell of a lot of walking. <laughs> it certainly is, yeah. It's been a hell of a journey so far. Um, so, yeah, we've been on the road since the beginning of March now. So we've been, me and Luna have been walking for five months um, out to Ontario. And, yeah, it's been an amazing adventure, Alex. Um, really, really beautiful. And, yeah, enjoying the cause as well. Yeah, I mean, you're you're here to kind of see, I guess, about our natural forests and what we're doing here in Canada. I always thought Scotland was very plush and had its own uh, natural forests, but you can educate me. What is it that you hope to glean that you think Canada offers you that you can take back home with you? Um, well, first of all, one, Canada's such a beautiful country, so... Um, to everyone listening, thank you very much for having me having me here. I'm very much enjoying enjoying traveling through. Um, but no, you have things here in Canada that we've actually lost back in Scotland over the last few hundred years, um, and that's actually there's there's loads that I could talk about there. Um, we used to be, actually be forested coast to coast in Scotland. Um, mm-hmm. uh, sadly, not the case anymore. A lot of the sort of Caledonian pine forest. Um, is quite disconnected. There's a few sort of remnants that are holding on. Um, but what we're trying to do is get, re-establish those forests and reconnect them up so they're sort of um, carrying over the highlands again. Um, yeah. Um, in regards to wildlife as well, um, Alex, um, the wolves and bears and moose and things that you have here in Canada, we don't have back in Scotland anymore. Um so as well as being primarily sort of um, a rewilding or a reforestation charity, uh, Trees for Life, um, they're also working at sort of reintroducing species back into Scotland as well. Um, so I hope one day in the future we'll see wolves running around in the islands again. 
Wow. Okay. And so you plot out this journey. Um, Canada is a beautiful country. It is also a very tough country, uh, very cold. It's uh, not the easiest uh, country to walk. Um, what has surprised you the most in your journey? Um, I mean, you've met people all along the way, but what has surprised you the most? Well, it's absolutely massive. I mean, really, someone should have warned me. Um, <laughs> Um, yes, it you know, is. <laughs> no, it's, it's obviously it's massive. You're going through so many different landscapes, um, coming through BC, through flat flatlands, through Alberta and Saskatchewan. You're also going through wetlands. Um, we're now into Ontario, and you know, it's, it's it's been sensational the whole way. Um, I think what surprised me most about the year, Alex, is. Um, I was looking down the barrel of this thing. This is a dream that I've sort of been dreaming up for coming on nearly three years, actually two and a half, nearly three years, um, working towards this. And um, I think with everything going on with COVID and everything going on in the world just now, I was looking at a very lonely year, I think, mm -hmm. walking along. And actually, it's not been that at all. I mean, the amount of support that I've received along the way, the amount of human kindness, I've received along the way has actually been the highlight of the entire trip. You know, people stopping, mm -hmm. like they, they bring me meals and um, all the rest of it. So really, yeah, and in such a sort of tough time as we're having right now, um, all that support coming out has just been absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, yeah they're coming. They're coming to check out the guy in the kilt. Who's the guy in the kilt in the snow walking along the Trans Canada? Uh, maybe we should stop and help. it. you've been doing this walk in parts with uh, Luna, and Luna was, as I understand, given to you um, when you stayed at a dog sledding camp, and you guys became best friends, and then you got separated from her. So she's not walking with you now, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So I, I met Luna over the winter. So I came out to Canada last year. Um, and was very was fortunate enough to get a job working with sled dogs um, in the BC area, and so I was working with King Mick Dog Dog Sled Tours. As a shout out to them because they're uh, mm. they're fantastic to me, um, and very very kindly um, allowed me to have Luna at the end of my um, period working there. Uh, we made a, a lovely connection, and yeah, she's very much become my best friend since. Um, yeah. Um, but no, Luna is not currently with me at the moment. She has been an absolute superstar in this entire entire journey. She's been on a little adventure herself just the other week there, and gave us a scare. Um, and then just coming down into the Thunder Bay area, she just looked a little bit tired, and uh -huh. one of her paws was slightly tender. Um, now, if it was up to her, she would still be going. She would still be walking next to me right now. Um, but I chose I chose to give her a rest, um, which she's totally yeah. deserve deserving of um, right now. Um, so and, she's and you'll and you'll get reunited with her eventually. So uh, you know, there's no question. And as as I'm walking just now, Alex, I'm I'm delighted. Yeah. You know, it's with a lovely family in the Thunder Bay area, and it allows me to continue on. And actually, I'm even happier because at the moment with the highways that we're walking along just now. I'm delighted. So I'm going to get myself around Lake Superior in the next couple of weeks. And then she's Superior. going to come join me. 
Well, that's great. I, I would not recommend swimming in Superior, uh, just like Canada is enormous and big. Superior is big and not always kind, so uh, consider yourself warned. Uh, but you're in Thunder Bay now, and so where do you go from here? Your, your goal is to get to Newfoundland, and of course the east coast of, of this country is just as sensationally beautiful as is the west coast. Um, you know, do you have a something that you're really looking forward to? Is there an area of this country that you, you took a, a lot of experience from that surprised you? Um, certainly, coming coming through Ontario has actually been, I think, one of the most challenging areas. Um, mm. I think mainly do, to do with the time of the year. Um, it has been um, very hot and humid. Um, oh my! Are you still there? No, oh, I'm here. Well, I thought I'd lost you there for a sec, Alex. I was worried. Um, no, no, no. It's been very, it's been very hot and humid. Um, a lot of bugs. Your black ties are, <laughs> have, been, have been a lot of fun for us, um, yeah. and um, but it's, it's it's also been beautiful. And there's um, yeah, you've got thunderstorms rolling through as well. So this has been quite challenging in that sense. And um, um, moving on, yeah, no, like the road ahead of us is um, is getting exciting. We're sort of picking up a really nice following on our Facebook page, and um, so we've got a Facebook page running throughout this for people to sort of follow the story and also be part of the story as they go along. So people are really getting involved. Um, do they walk with you? Do people come out and walk with you? And do you end up having dinner at people's houses or staying over at their houses? Or do you, do you have uh, budgeted in yourself that you go to a hotel? Like, how are you doing that part of your journey? For the, for, I mean, for the most part, Alex, we're camping. So we're just sort of camping out every night. Um, but then, yes, like followers that are reaching out, like, um, are reaching out and saying, when you get here, you've got a place to stay. Uh, come for a shower, you know, come and get a shower and some food. So people have been hugely kind um, in that sense. And it's, it's just been growing, you know, the further the further east we get, the more the stories yeah. are getting there. Um, it's yeah. growing and growing. That's, that's, that's something I'm looking forward to as well. I mean, I've already got so many shout outs. I think in Ottawa, we've got the Scottish, Scottish Society of Ottawa. You're uh, looking forward to arrival and stuff as well. So yes, um, yeah. You, you might not. You might not leave. You know, uh, the further east you go, the, the kinder uh, and and just some of the loveliest, warm people you'll ever meet. Uh, so so you may not want to leave. But when do you think you'll be in Newfoundland? Um, so I think we'll get there um, early November. Um, looking mm. at, uh, we've had a couple of new setbacks that have put us back a little bit. But um, yeah, I reckon in around. In around early November, we'll get out east. Yeah, did you, did you bring some woolies? I brought some woolies. Don't worry. Well, we're okay. what's, what's, <laughs> starting out in BC. It's kind of kind of nice. We're really getting all the seasons. So when we started out in BC, we started out in snow. You know, we started out in yeah. cold and snow and and stuff. So we really walked through all seasons. And um, by the time we get out there again, it'll be winter again. So um, yeah, it's been oh, yeah, um, great experience. Yeah, um, there's got to be something under their kilt because it uh, it goes from from fall to very very cold very quickly in this country. But look, I I would love to talk to you again and pick up your journey uh, along the way. Um, and of course, uh, I wish you the very best of luck. And I hope Luna gets back with you. I I've enjoyed the conversation. And what is your Facebook page called? Um, so if you check Michael and Luna, a rewilding journey on Facebook, um, we'll pop up. And you can sort of follow the story with us there. Um, mm -hmm. There, 
is also a just giving page. So if anyone would like to donate to our cause, um, I'm very kind of you to do so. And you can get us on justgiving.com and again under Michael and Luna, a rewilding Very gym. fun. Well, I wish you the very best. Um, stay safe and um, we'll talk to you again. Thank you very, very much, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. That is uh, Michael Yellowies. And again, it's Michael and Luna, A Rewilding Journey. You can find that on Facebook. The organization that he is with is Trees of Life, and they've already got $20,000. But if you want to follow the journey and maybe uh, go out and say hi to him or throw him uh, some biscuits or whatever or have a scotch with him, uh, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. But boy, oh boy, that is a very, very long walk. So... On the surface, this will be seen as a smart thing to do, but Apple seems to be going down a very slippery slope with its latest technology. So they're going to install software on American iPhones that'll be used to scan for child abuse imagery, which security researchers warn could open a whole mess of problems with surveillance of millions of people's personal devices. And the automated automated system would proactively alert a team of human reviewers if it believes illegal imagery is detected who would then contact law enforcement if the material can be verified. Big deal, you say? Well, if you have any photos of your little one on your phone, maybe you have a shot of your baby in the bathtub or a cute little picture of your toddler running around naked or in their diaper, those innocent and very normal pictures that parents have, that image could be swept up in a surveillance program. I had a a lawyer actually once tell me when I, I showed a funny, cute little shot of my little guy running around naked, and he said, you better get that off your phone because that could be... If a border guard or someone saw that, considered child porn. I was shocked by that. And Kavukian is a former privacy commissioner for Ontario, current executive director of the Global Privacy and Security by Design Centre. She joins us now. Good to see you. Good to have you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I wish I could see you, but good to have you nonetheless. Um, so, Anne, this is being rolled out in the United States under the, the you know impression it's to stop child porn and abuse. And, and it could be an honorable yeah. thing. Uh, with Apple, but it's a matter of time before it comes here to this country, and it it risks, you know, being really exploited by government and pretty much anybody, no? Absolutely. I mean, government, law enforcement will be all over this, understandably. But I just want to start by saying, um, in Apple's defense, that their intention in creating this was to protect children, that the spread of, you know, child sexual abuse is, is, has increased, and they're trying to find the means by which that can be addressed and abusers can be detected without one's privacy, to have both the detection of, of child sexual abuse and privacy preserved. So that is certainly their goal. It's called um, CSAM, Child Sexual Abuse Material, um, and online, the way they detect it, and they made it very clear, on all of these images, anything that is detected with CSAM, it's stored in iCloud photos, um, meaning that nothing is retained at Apple themselves. Apple doesn't have access to this information and to anything that is called CSAM alerting, uh, presumably, law enforcement to address it. I don't know the details. But there's no question that there's concern about privacy. And, you know, the famous end-to-end encryption that Apple created, everyone has felt very secure and with their personal information that no one else can gain access. 
that's the big question now is what happens to all of that. Right. But, you know, it starts with this kind of technology, and but that can easily be adapted so that it is sweeping up images of, let's say, someone at an anti-government movement or protests. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is, I think, a very slippery slope. And then it's just a matter of time before all the social media platforms are, are, are doing this kind of thing. Uh, I agree. The potential for this expanding to other sites outside of Apple and having other parties engage in this kind of behavior, it's it's frightening. I mean, Edward Snowden came out and he said if Apple can yeah. scan for illicit child images today, um, they and others will be able to scan for anything tomorrow. So it's very, very concerning that this they're calling it this new device scanning initiative with something called perceptual hashing. Um, which Apple says is very narrow, very restricted, is only alerted by images of involving, you know, child porn, things like that. But, you know, where do you draw the line? Um, the concern is the threshold involved for, you know, this kind of secret sharing of information. And this is, of course, all under the guise of these social media platforms, um, you know, or, or uh, these technology companies being seen to to do more um, and take more proactive steps in combating things, you know, like cyberbullying or child porn, um, you know, yeah. uh, hate crimes, those kinds of things. But in doing so, the risk is there is such overreach, and um, you know, this opens up to a lot of abuse uh, for people who. You know, one day they're looking at your stuff and then they're mining my stuff. But even if we haven't done anything wrong, all of a sudden we are being watched without our permission. Exactly. And even though Apple says that they never gain access to any information and they can't see any of the information that's sent to law enforcement after it's been detected through their system, that isn't sufficient because you're sending it to law enforcement and God knows what might be in it. And we know that information can be interpreted in a manner that does not depict reality. And, and these are some of the concerns that are coming up. Well, well, there's also the issue that they're sending material directly to police without any kind of warrant. And so, yeah. therefore, if there was a criminal nature to it, that evidence couldn't be used anyway because it was gained illegally by the court standards. Well, and, and, and this is where all the questions come in. Apple says that their on-device encryption and encryption keys, you know, do not enable any access by Apple to this information. But, like you said, it's going to go to law enforcement without a warrant. It's how do we know that this is appropriate in terms of where it ends up with law enforcement and how you can defend yourself if it's incorrectly sent to law enforcement. Yeah, it puts you into a position of uh, guilty, um, you know, without the presumption of innocence right away. And so, I mean, I've seen a lot of comments. I mean, I'm an Apple user. I've got a Macintosh. I've got an iPhone. Uh, I do not want this at all. But I've seen a lot of comments. I mean, there's been quite a bit of blowback against this. Do you get the sense that Apple's going to pull back on this, or are they just going to tweak it and hope to roll it out in a different format? You know, that's a good question. Um, because I was surprised, honestly, that they developed this. And I asked them, I said, why are you introducing this now? Because I think it was about five years ago, uh, James Comey, who was then attorney general in the U.S., went to Apple Mm -hmm. and said, we've arrested this guy. 
uh, he's got an iPhone. We can't get into it. Decrypt it for us, the information. And Apple said to them, we can't do that. That's not what we do. We don't have access to. It's end-to-end encryption. They're the only ones who can do it. And they said, the police said to to Apple, come on, surely you could do this if you wanted to. And they said, sure, but we don't want to. That's not our business model. So this is, even though the images here that are captured are, are stored in what they're calling iCloud photos, it is causing a great deal of concern. There's no question. No question about it. And um, so we'll see where this goes. But, you know, we are so, as you well know, Anne, in the business of sharing every aspect of our life. Um, yeah. I, my fear is that most people won't think about this twice because, as I said off the top, on the surface, this looks like a really good thing. Who doesn't want to fight child porn? It's just the that's problems right. and the overreach that is is the dangerous part of it. Well, that's right. And this is why we have resisted back doors for years since, you know, the mm-hmm. year 2000, when we first started talking about the clipper chip, because we didn't want to enable law enforcement, you know, for good reasons, arguably, to gain a backdoor into our encrypted communications, that it was just too private. And privacy is all about control. It's about personal control relating to the use and disclosure of your personal information. We want to keep yeah. that under wraps so that we stay in control. Here, that control is diminished. All right, stay tuned on this. Appreciate your commenting on this and your insight, Anne. Have a terrific weekend. My pleasure. You too. Bye-bye. That is uh, Anne Kavukian joining us, former Privacy Commissioner here for Ontario now with the uh, Global Privacy and Security by Design. So again, if it looks good to, too good to be true, then maybe it is. If you are what you eat, do you actually know what you're eating when it comes to fish? A report put out by Oceana Canada looked into fish fraud reports. And what they found is that almost half of all the fish sold by retailers and restaurants are being mislabeled. So they took DNA from fish in four major Canadian cities and they found that 46% of what we're buying at the store is not exactly what we were told it was. In Toronto, Montreal and Ottawa, fish is being mislabeled 50% of the time. That is not a small amount. And apparently this happens more in restaurants than retail stores. And it's done because they can make more money by selling you a cheaper product and because clearly it's easy to get away with. So the tuna salad you ordered may not actually be tuna. It just won't lower the price. And the biggest fish fraud is happening to butterfish, yellowtail and white tuna, as well as snapper. And some fish being sold in Canada isn't even legal at all. So this is blatant fraud. The question is, why is it getting so widespread and going unchecked? John Keogh, founding and managing principal with Chantala. He's also a professor of practice at McGill Center. McGill Center, he joins us now. Good to have you, John. Hi, Alex. Nice to be with you. You know, we've heard, um, you know, with these reports on Subway and, you know, investigations where they look into fish and find out, you know, half of it's not fish and half of it is. But, you know, when you look at the issue as Oceana has in a wider um, uh, display, it's kind of shocking that there are not more regulations on this. How is this so unpoliced? Yeah, this is this is not uh, at all surprising. I spoke with uh, with Oceana last year uh, after their previous results with forty seven percent mislabeling, mm-hmm. and it actually takes us. It takes me. It took me back to you know uh, almost a dozen years ago when Professor Robert Tanner at University of Guelph uncovered this for the first time and repeated the, the studies uh, year by year. So it's been around for more than a decade. The government uh, seems to be doing their testing. CFIA announced the results of their testing 
uh, last year, and in fact, three months ago as well, and they're finding only about 8%. Uh, so there's a huge difference between the enforcement work and the surveillance work, uh, surveillance, I should say, rather than enforcement, but the surveillance work being done by CFIA and what we call the police patrols then by NGOs like Oceana. There's a huge discrepancy. We need to figure out why. Yeah, I guess we do. I mean, when I see that butterfish and tuna and things like that um, are the are the kind of main culprits. I mean, if you go to a sushi restaurant, it would be easier to tell if your butterfish or your sushi or your uh, tuna was real because you can actually see it and see the texture and, and feel the taste of it. Um, but if you're buying it in the can, let's say, I guess it would be easy for a manufacturer to put some other stuff in it to pack it up. Yeah, that, that's correct. In fact, the, the, the way fish fraud happens in, uh, in, in, in the sector is the closer the fish gets to the consumer and the more processing, the higher the risk of, uh, of fraud. And we, we see that occurring. So what, what the Canadian Food Inspection Agency has done is they've looked at the percentage that they found uh, incorrect at the importer level and then the processor level and then the retailer level, and that continues to increase. I think it was about 12% at retail. But the problem with all of this, Alex, is it's the same problems all over again, and it's not being mm -hmm. solved. And part of the issue here is that firms are relying on documentation uh, to, to trust what's going on. Because sometimes these companies and these restaurants may be duped themselves. They may just may not know. And right. they may be looking at labels that are, that are incorrect. They may be looking at documentation that's false. But at the end of the day, the only way to prove that the fish is what it says it is or what it should be is through science. And we're lucky in Canada that we have Guelph and other institutions that are leading in the world in this space. But even with that capability, we're still not solving the problems and Canadian consumers are being duped every day. Right. And, and which country, which uh, importer of fish, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer of this uh, already, but which country is the biggest offender of, uh, of the fraud? I'm not sure they, they released that in the reports, but a lot of fish gets processed. It gets shipped over to China and gets sent back. Uh, a oh. lot of fish comes from Vietnam as well. And uh, we, there's problems there with uh, some illegal processing, you know, smoking the fish that's uh, that could be illegal in Canada. Uh, so Vietnam is a problem for sure. Uh, China is a problem. And uh, there are other countries as well. But from an enforcement perspective, uh, the EU is way ahead of uh, Canada. Canada is very much a laggard. So when I look at the EU reports on, on fraud every month, the Italian customs are making seizures of fish on a uh, almost a weekly basis, it seems. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because restaurants apparently are, are the bigger offender between, um, you know, wh where the fish is being kind of... Uh, played with. Um, but it is a fraud because, you know, you go and buy a piece of tuna or swordfish thinking that's what you're getting and you're paying a really big premium on that um, product. Um, and if they're pocketing it and telling you a lie, it, it is fraud. It is on a grand level. Yeah, it's, it's massive. And this is the, the core of my own research is that transparency and trust in the food chain. And I normally start a lot of my briefings with a picture of uh, a fish, a fillet of fish on, on a plate with some vegetables. And this is the challenge that consumers have. They go, okay, so I bought this uh, and I paid 30% premium thinking it's uh, wild caught salmon. But how does the consumer know? And that's the key issue. The consumer does not know. 
And the consumer can never know because the supply chain is what we call it's unobservable. Of course, it's unobservable right. because it's massive and it's complex. So what consumers, they place their trust in the labeling uh, on, on the actual packaging. They, they, that's the proxy for trust. Or And in a lot of cases, in, in fact, in most cases, they place their trust in the regulatory framework in Canada and in the, the retailers or the brand owner of that restaurant to ensure that they're not being duped. And they're failing. These these companies, um, the retailers, the food, uh, the, the restaurants, and also CFIA are failing Canadians today. They're being duped every single day. And so what is it? Um, does a, does a compute consumer have any power, John, to make sure that what they buy is what is on the label? It's it's uh, it's impossible, Alex, because it's uh, you know a consumer um, without without looking at the entire fish. Right. Uh, the consumer has no clue. And even if you know there's 900 species permitted for sale in Canada, uh, and there's no consumer that will know more than you know maybe a dozen different fish if if they even know that. So it's very very complex. And again, the issue is as the fish gets processed and it gets filleted or it gets put into, you know, a soup or something else, that, that's when the issues occur. I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned, as, as Professor Robert Hanner is from Guelph, he keeps finding escalar, which is an oil fish, which should not be in the human food chain. It causes uh, stomach aches, diarrhea, and so on. And he's been working in the U.S. as well with FDA, and he's even looked at stomach contents of people who have been seriously ill. And in one soup he found in the U.S. in Chicago, there was even a puffer fish, which is absolutely oh, wow. not allowed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. So, but again, Alex, we have the best capabilities in the world here at Guelph and, and with a few other uh, organizations, but it's not helping us if we, we're not increasing the, or enhancing the surveillance and we're not doing the enforcement. Yeah, or we're not uh, putting in a fish czar to actually check and follow up on it. But uh, buyer beware. I think people are starting to kind of catch on and we'll uh, see if the pressure mounts on those in charge to actually take charge of it. Um, appreciate your help, John, on this because I knew you'd have some insight into it. So I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. No problem. Thank you, Alex. That is John Keogh, who is managing and founding principal with Chantella. And uh, he is an expert on all things uh, supply chain and those kinds of issues. So there you go. Next time you order your fish, make sure you see the whole body. That's just one way you can protect yourself. Thank you for listening. Join us Monday through Friday, live starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio.